Hello, my name's Gary. And my name is Simon. And this is episode 24 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, we'll be talking about preparing for the arrival of your recently purchased electric vehicle. Now, at this point in the podcast, I usually ask you, Simon, about something of interest regarding EVs or a news item or something similar to that, but... This week, I can't think of a single thing to talk about. Is, no. is there anything you'd like to talk about? <sighs> not not really. I mean, there, there, was, there was that small event at Tesla last week. You yeah. know, that, 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 that I didn't watch. And I know everyone else seems to watch it at silly o'clock in the morning. So I I hated the look of that Cybertruck. It was awful. The Tesla home build, as I like to that, call that, it. That would be the one. build a home, isn't it? Yeah, yeah the, the 80s kind of uh, Battlestar Galactica throwback. Thing and um, the, the the ridiculousness of, of it all, and um, and 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 then I um, then I pre-ordered one the next day. Uh, oh oh oh! You pre-ordered one, have you? <laughs> yeah, I, I I did funny enough. Just um, the one, and just just the one. Yeah, I didn't want to I didn't want to overdo it and like you know get greedy. But it's the most ridiculous thing ever. I I absolutely hated it. Uh, the first, literally the first time, like most people and you, I know. The first time, like it came out, I was like, "What the hell have you done?" What I mean, you know, like you look at the Rivian and you think, "Okay, I get that." You know, some minor changes, and then the Cybertruck comes out, and I'm like, "You really weren't joking when it's like nothing you've seen before." And um, and I and I was like rattling my brain all day, and I'm like, "No, don't like it, don't like it." And then I looked at it again, looked at it all the different angles, like again, like most people did, and I started to think, "It's like." No, actually, I I, th- I think it's quite cool. As weird as it sounds and the weird as it is, I think it's so damn different and so ridiculous that I love it. So, I yeah, I mean, it was a £100 pre-order deposit, so it's not enough to break the bank. It was a bit of a, I suppose, a cheeky flutter, <laughs> shall, shall we say. And it was it was kind of a, yep, yeah, do you know what? Going to do it, see if it works out, see what happens. Realistically... You know, it's going to be at least three years before it even makes it to UK shores at the earliest, I would suggest. And probably by then, I'll probably be able to afford it uh, with the i3 coming up and using that as a deposit against it. And it will probably work out about the same. There seems to be 200,000 pre-orders now for it. Um, So, you know, Elon's made a really good um, chunk of money to actually start making it and invest the money into the company. So from that point of view, it was very smart. Our feature topic today concerns your first day with an EV and what you should be looking at to make this happen. So you've made your decision to purchase an EV, you've done the test drives, borrowed whatever car you actually want and made sure that it works for your lifestyle. And after sorting out the finance and other monetary decisions such as insurance, you're due to take delivery of your car. What now? Well, we're going to go through what you need to plan and organise, plus what your first step should be when the car arrives. So here goes. Once you've ordered your car, is the best time to start looking at the various things you need to put in place to make your EV owning experience the best. And we'll be looking at charging, cables, electricity providers, charge companies, charge schedule or schedule and apps. Of course, you don't need any of these. You can just work things out on the fly when your car arrives, drive it around when you need it, charge it when you can and hope that everything works as well as expected. But to make the most of owning your EV, you should probably address the things we're going to discuss over the next few minutes. These things will make you fully prepared and improve your EV ownership experience. 
The reason we're doing this episode is that whenever I go into one of the many EV Facebook pages or forums, there are always new EV owners who ask the what I consider to be basic and fundamental questions, which usually start with, I just bought my first EV and I wanted to know how you guys fill in the blanks about some aspect of EV ownership. How do you guys find where your charges are? How do you guys charge at home? What apps and cards do you guys need to be able to charge? How do you guys set up home charging on a timer? These are very basic questions which shouldn't need to be asked, but they are. Ultimately, once EV ownership becomes more widespread, these questions won't need to be answered. I mean, nobody buys a brand new Ford Mondeo and goes on the forums asking, where do you guys get your petrol for the Mondeo? Or how do I refuel my Skoda when I get to a petrol station? Years of familiarity and usage mean that these questions don't need to be asked, but we're not there yet for EVs. There is that very famous video of the woman who took a Tesla to the petrol station and spent some time trying to work out how the nozzle for the petrol pump fitted into the charge connector. It may well be a fake video, but it does highlight fundamental issue with EVs, which is that they are different to what people are used to. So they will have some questions. So here goes. Let's start with charging. You'll need to sort out how you'll charge your car. This is essentially a very, very simple process that can get complicated quite quickly. All it's worth remembering is the following. You can usually charge your car anywhere there's electricity. This can be using a three pin plug or equivalent at your house or with a wall mounted charger or at a public charger or a lamppost with the appropriate connector. Anywhere you can get electricity is a potential charging point. In an ideal situation, you'll have access to home charging at the place you live, or more precisely, at the place you park your vehicle. This could be in your driveway, in your garage, or even in the car park at the place you work. Not everyone has home charging. Simon lives in a block of flats where the shared parking space has no facility to run an electric cable, for example. In which case, you'll need to sort out public charging, and we'll get onto that in a minute. If you do have a dedicated parking space for your car, the usual thing is to get a home charger installed. There are numerous companies that provide a home charger, companies such as ChargePoint, PodPoint, MyEnergy, if you want the uh, lovely Zappy charger, to name but a few. But there's nothing to stop you using a standard three pin plug and charging your car with that. It's what I do at the moment. Home chargers usually allow you to charge at a rate of about 6.6 or 7 kilowatts per hour although the actual rate is capped by the charger your vehicle has on board. Only a limited number of cars have onboard chargers with a rating higher than about 6.6 kilowatt charging. It's fine, just don't worry about it. A home charger will cost you about £500, but you can get a grant from the Office of Low Emission Vehicles, which will reduce that to either free or around £199, somewhere in between, depending which type of charger you get and who installs it. So get your charger installed either inside your garage if you park inside or on the wall near where you park your car overnight if you park outside. That way it's close enough to be useful when you need it. Most home chargers come in either a tethered or untethered version. Uh, there's no right answer to the question which one should I buy because the reason is that each have their own advantages and disadvantages. A tethered charger has a charging cable permanently attached to it. You need nothing else to be able to charge your car. Other than the car. It also means that the cable you have in your car can stay there and be used when you need it when you're out and about. To use your tether charger you just open the charge port on the car, take the ch tether charger 
and plug it in, no problem. Now, the issue with tether chargers is that you lose flexibility. A tether charger can only charge cars that accept the type of cable attached to it. I, for example, in my Kia Soul, have a type one charge connector. If I got a tether connector, I'd need to ensure that it was type one so I could use it on my Soul. But that means that anyone else wanting to use my charger would only be able to use it if they were also type one. Furthermore, if I had a tether charger with a type one connector and I upgraded my car to a different one that didn't have type one charging, my charger would be useless. The good news is if you're driving a car that has a standard type two connector, which is about 98 or 99% of the cars around, a tether connector should be fine. The disadvantage of untethered connectors is that you either have to use your existing type one or type two connector that came with the car, or you need to disconnect it each time you leave the house and take it with you in case you need it, or you have to buy a second type one, type two connector, which you leave permanently attached to your untethered charger and take the other one in the car for use when out and about. And this obviously has a cost implication. So let's move on to cables. On the subject of cables, you'll want to make sure you have the right cables for your car. At the bare minimum, a well-appointed EV, either brand new or second-hand, should come with two cables. One of these is the granny charger. This is the cable that allows your car to connect to a standard electric socket, such as a three-pin plug in the UK. The other cable will be a Type 1 or Type 2 cable mentioned above. This allows you to charge your car on public chargers that don't have their own cables. See our episode on charging to understand the difference between fast chargers and rapid chargers and why one has cables connected and the other one doesn't. If your car doesn't come with both of these cables, go back to the seller and ask why. If you get no luck with this, then you'll need to purchase the missing cable. Unfortunately, these cables can be quite expensive, which is why it's always good to ensure you get both of them when you purchase your car. Even if you do have both cables, there's nothing to stop you from buying an additional one as a spare just in case. Once you've got your charger installed, you'll probably find it makes sense to look for an electricity supplier that can cater for EVs specifically. There are several out there and we'll be doing a complete episode on that later this season. Suffice it to say that the National Grid is focused on trying to ensure that EVs are generally charged overnight. As a result, they drop the price of electricity really low between you know about midnight and five in the morning and this encourages electricity suppliers to incentivize usage at these times. What this means is that companies such as Octopus Energy have a standard rate during the day and a reduced rate between certain times so that you can set your vehicle charger to automatically come on at that point and take advantage of the lower rate. I usually charge my car between you know half past midnight and half past four and I generally spend no more than about a pound fifty to fill it up from virtually empty. We have a podcast episode planned for later this season where we'll go through each of the major electricity companies and let you know which provide specific EV tariffs. So on to charging companies. If you're planning on taking your vehicle for a journey that's longer than the range of your battery or like me you don't have the means of charging at home there's a good chance you'll be doing some public charging. With very few exceptions, public charging at the moment is a mishmash of providers, apps, RFID cards and websites. It can be all very confusing for the newbie. The simple way to deal with this is try and work out which chargers you will possibly be using on a regular basis and get yourself set up to use those. For example, the nearest public chargers to where I live and where I work are run by Polar, Ingenie and Genie Point. 
Polar run using an app, a subscription or a contactless payment. And Genie runs using contactless payment and Genie Point run using an RFID card or contactless. Get the apps, send off the cards, register with companies, and that way you're ready to use whichever you need to enable public charging. We'll talk in a little while about how to identify and locate your nearest charger. So this will give you all the info you need to choose which app or card you want. So your car's arrived, the big day. Congratulations. And now that it's with you, you'll probably need to set up a charging schedule. Not all EVs have the option to do this, but most of them do. And it's a way of telling the car when to start and stop charging remotely. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing to stop you plugging the car in and letting it charge throughout the day. But as mentioned earlier, electricity prices tend to drop down late in the evening, midnight-ish. So this makes it financially more viable to charge at night. Uh, nobody really wants to wake up at half past midnight and go out and plug your car in to start charging. So most EV manufacturers have added software to the car that allows them to put in start and stop times for charging. And this also links in with preconditioning, which is a way of letting the car know what time you're planning on leaving the house in the morning and allowing the car to heat itself and the battery to a set temperature ready for departure. This is ideal at all times of the year as it allows you to get into a defrosted and clear windowed car in winter and a cool but comfortable car in summer. And believe me, in this year's 39 degree temperature we had here in the UK in July, it was a bit of a godsend. So, public charging. So we've talked about home charging and how we can use scheduling to charge your car overnight. But what if you don't have a home charger? What if you're one of the 40% of households that don't have access to off-street parking? Well, there are solutions. These solutions obviously won't be as easy and straightforward as having home charging, but it's worth remembering that not a single vehicle that has been manufactured with an internal combustion engine has been refueled at home since the early part of the 20th century. So public charging shouldn't be such a big issue. There are two types of public charging you can do. They are fast charging and rapid charging. These may sound similar, but it's worth remembering that the difference is that fast charging is actually not quite as slow charging, whereas rapid charging is fast charging. Confused? You definitely will be. Which one of these you will use will depend on a number of factors. How long you have to charge, how much you want to pay, and where you're going to be stopping. For example, there's a growing number of supermarket chains that have installed chargers at their sites. This means if you're going for the big weekly shop, you can drop your car onto the charger there and get electrons while you shop. Remember, your average motor vehicle is stationary for the vast majority of the time. With an EV, you can just use that time to charge up while you're doing other things. Many companies are now starting to install fast chargers in their company car parks. You arrive at work in the morning, plug your car in, and it charges throughout the day, ready for you when you get back in and head home. This is how Simon charges when he's not working from home or visiting clients. His company has a number of Genie Point 7 kilowatt chargers, and he leaves his i3 charging on one of them all day. 7 kilowatt chargers are springing up in more and more locations. A quick glance at ZapMap, which we'll talk about shortly, indicates that within 10 miles of my house, there are 23 locations with uh, quote-unquote fast chargers, and these are located at places such as public car parks, supermarkets, shopping centres, car dealerships, hotels, and railway stations. The numbers increase in virtually every day. 
if I wanted to go shopping at somewhere such as the Oracle in Reading or the Festival Place in Basingstoke or the Atrium in Camberley, there are chargers located in the car parks of these locations that I can use while I visit there for shopping, eating or to watch a movie. Some of these charges are free, others charge per kilowatt hour delivered. Rapid charging is more or less the holy grail of charging. It's the thing that ICE drivers tend to fixate on when deriding EVs because it's what they equate to filling the tank of petrol or diesel. And although in reality, it's nothing of the sort. Rapid chargers are those usually large units you see in places such as holiday in car parks, some BP filling stations, and in the car parks of places such as Bannantyne's gyms, Marston pubs, and booths locations across the country. They usually have a couple of thick black fixed cables attached to them and they charge your car very quickly. The idea behind rapid chargers is that you use them if you're covering long distances and you integrate the charges into your usual stopping routine. Nobody safely drives 500 miles in a single go, even if the vehicle can do 500 miles on a full tank of fuel. In reality, drivers tend to go for about 90 minutes or two hours and then take a break. This can be to have a pee, grab some food, take a walk or have a meeting. In an ICE vehicle, this is wasted time because your car sits there not doing anything while you're having your meeting or having your food. You then have to go to a petrol station, fill up before moving on. But with an EV, you use this downtime to charge your car. Stopping at, say, a Holiday Inn en route, you can plug your car in, then hit, head in and have some food or a coffee in their restaurant. The same for places such as the Marston's pubs and booths locations. Simon and I stopped at a booths in Kendall in the Lake District on our recent 1,000 kilometre in a day journey and we enjoyed a lovely coffee and a piece of cake. <laughs> Indeed. Apps. Obviously with ice cars, if you need a petrol station, you drive around for a little and usually find one on a street corner. There are quite few of them and they are clearly marked. However, as we have said before in this podcast, there are now more charging locations than petrol stations in the UK. The problem is, they're not well marked. Would you know whether a Tesco has a charger there without driving around the car park to find it? What about a BP petrol station? Obviously, there has to be a way to locate public chargers to make it easy for EV drivers to find a location to recharge. Luckily, there's an easy way. There are apps out there that will show you your nearest charger, two main apps that most of us use now are ZapMap and PlugShare. Neither of these is better than the other and they both have their pluses and minuses. I like the functionality of PlugShare over ZapMap, ability to click and link and navigate using your choice of navigation app for example. However, I like the user interface of ZapMap. It shows me more clearly when a charger was last used and whether someone is on it at the moment. Other apps out there include WhatsApp, not to be confused with the WhatsApp, which allows you to see the status of upcoming charges as you make your way on your journey. All of these apps use live status updates from charging companies where applicable. If a company has chosen not to share the charger status, and I'm looking at you, Ecotrocity, the charger status cannot be seen using these apps. Most charge providers also have their own apps, which will show the status of the chargers. If you only plan on using one or two charge providers, it might be easier to use their apps rather than something like ZapMap or Blugshare. Either way, download these to your phone, put them on your home screen, because if you're planning on charging in public, you'll be using them quite regularly. So what happens if you've got a Tesla? Do any of these things apply? Well, yes, they do. 
If you're planning on charging your Tesla at home, you should probably still look and see what is the best electricity deal to allow you to do that. Or you could just charge on the superchargers, which is probably a better option if you've got the unlimited free supercharging that comes with uh, quite a large number of the Model S and Model Xs. Even if you're planning on charging using superchargers, it's probably still a good idea to load up ZapMap or PlugShare as you'll be able to then locate the other high-speed units which you can use, such as the Ionity ones, uh, which are in some cases even faster than the standard Tesla superchargers. You probably get all the cables that you need when you buy your Tesla, so that needn't be a worry, but if you're buying second-hand, do make sure and check that. Teslas all come with the preconditioning and scheduled charging built into the app, so that's all sorted. You will still need to be aware of which cable fits in where. All Model 3s charge using the CCS standard, which is fitted to most superchargers and other non-Tesla rapid chargers, but the Model S and X use a dedicated Tesla connector, so you need an adapter if you want to charge on a rapid charger that's not a supercharger. So if you follow these guidelines, you'll have your charger installed, your apps loaded, your RFID cards ordered, your home supplied with renewable EV friendly electricity, and your car has a charging schedule to ensure it is both recharged and warm or cold when you get up in the morning. What else do you need? Nothing. Go and enjoy driving your brand new EV. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some new EV or renewable thing that we can share with our listeners. So yeah, here's my cool thing. Um, a dramatic facelift for the Jaguar I-Pace. Now, this isn't that they're revamping the existing I-Pace. A company called Lister has seriously modified I-Pace for um, £125,000. <coughs> um, we should probably buy almost two. Um, the, the uh, it's called the SUV E concept. Now, what makes this so special? Well, carbon ceramic brakes, carbon parts throughout the whole car, adjustable suspension, along with a fantastic racing green paint job. Which you know, for one hundred twenty-five thousand, you'd at least expect that. Um, it's going to be a limited run car, and it does look fantastic. And it's it's taken the normal I pace, which is already a pretty damn good looking car and made it i would say a bit ferocious to be honest yeah lister have quite a history with jaguar they go back uh, quite a while they've taken a number of the different jaguar models and upgraded them and made them you know more or less race ready but not they're actually road legal and it's good to see that they've uh, embraced the EV ethos and gone for the uh, I-Pace. I agree with you, it does look like a lovely car. A little bit steep at £125,000. But at the end of the day, if you're somebody who likes Listers, then, you know, the price tag is irrelevant. My cool thing is a Tron-style hubless motorcycle. It's called the Verge TS, and it's a quote-unquote normal-looking motorcycle, but the rear wheel just appears to be a tyre on a rim and nothing else. There's no central spokes, uh, no alloys, no drivetrain connected to it or anything. It's attached via a clamp style affair around the actual wheel itself and it's driven by a motor that spins the tyre within the rim using power from the electric motor. It's, uh, it has CCS charging with a range of around 180 miles around town and 125 miles on the motorway. 0 to 60 comfortably under four seconds and the ability to pop a wheelie at just about any speed because it has a thousand newton meters of torque. 
It looks spectacular. Um, I would advise you to follow the link in the notes and have a look at it and see what you think about it. I think it's superb. I've got one question. Does it come with the Tron outfit though? So at night, everything has to be like neon, neon lit, neon lit outfit. The whole, the whole deal. It's no point having that unless it is done like a, a Tron, a, a Tron bike. <laughs> I think what should happen in that case is that the suit should come with a USB connector which plugs directly into a USB adapter on the bike, and we use the battery from the bike to power the suit. It's, it's going to win. It's going to be fantastic, isn't it? You know, you look like the Tron rider, and you've got a vehicle that uh, looks like the Tron rider itself. Absolutely superb. <laughs> And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at the EV side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm the real Gary C on Twitter. If you want to contact us on Twitter, use either of those or our own EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV. If you're wanting a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description if you we've just been looking at our statistics and we're heading up to two and a half thousand downloads of the various versions of the um the podcast that we've done so thank you very much for that i'm noticing we don't have a huge number of uh, regular uh subscribers so somewhere down the line people are listening to the show without actually being subscribed so if you are doing that please subscribe please leave a little review with uh, apple or Spotify or whoever you subscribe to because it helps our visibility and helps us to grow, which is always useful. Thanks for listening. Bye.